This is All In. I'm Miriam Sobe. Today we're talking about efforts to pass a bill in Indiana that would ban transgender girls from girls' sports in school. We'll talk about the impact it could have on trans youth, and we'll also learn about the history of LGBTQ laws in Indiana. With us now are two guests, Kit Malone, advocacy strategist at the ACLU of Indiana, and Zoe O'Halen-Byrne, Director of Marketing and Communications at the Indiana Youth Group. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'll start with you, Kit. Uh, We want to open today's conversation by talking about this bill that would ban transgender girls from participating in school sports. Can you give us sort of a background on how this bill was proposed? Where did this all come from? So near the beginning of the legislative session, um, there's been a a really big national push, um, really leading up for years up to this, um, to pass laws like this around the country. Uh, It's really the offshoot of uh, advocacy groups um, oppose LGBTQ rights, refocusing on the next issue after they sort of lost in the marriage realm. Um, They've landed on trans people broadly and very recently and disturbingly trans youth as targets for anti-LGBTQ legislation. So we've really seen a flood with over 200 bills filed in the past year attacking the rights, particularly of trans youth across the country. And, and you're, you're saying that's across the country. What about in Indiana? Uh, how, ma- how many of those bills were uh, proposed here? Or is it just this one, 1041, that you're seeing right now? Uh, in terms of what is out of the ordinary for Indiana, obviously, we always do have some anti-LGBTQ and anti-trans bills filed every single year. Um, but this was the one in Indiana that was really that really became sort of a real threat to, to, to kids in the state. That was the one that sort of bubbled up and that the energy in the caucus seemed to be behind passing that. Is there anything similar to, to House Bill 1041 proposed in other states or is Indiana sort of taking the lead on this? Oh, we're not alone. Uh, there, there are a number of states, of course, everywhere, for instance, in Idaho and in West Virginia, everywhere that the ACLU has challenged these bills, They've been placed under injunction pretty quickly because they fairly flagrantly violate uh, civil rights law as recently interpreted by the Supreme Court, as well as uh, uh, the Equal Protections Clause. So there's a strong case that these bills don't pass constitutional muster, but that hasn't really stopped very ultra-conservative legislatures from pushing them in the first place. Zoe, what was your reaction when you heard about this bill? Well, whenever any kind of these discussions come up, anytime there's a discussion about trans rights, I I just notice that they're just so mean-spirited, especially when you're pointing the finger at kids, you know, saying that, hey, kid, you're not allowed to do this. It's, it's really disheartening. Um, we know here at Indiana Youth Group, we serve LGBTQ youth and a lot of trans youth, and we know that they're already at a heightened risk for self-harm and suicide. So when these discussion started happening, we knew that it was only going to make it worse. They're, these youth are going to be gaslit into believing that they're less than or that they don't have the same rights as their friends. And again, I, I, the best term for it is disheartening and upsetting that they're doing this to literal children. Speaking of, of, of this affecting youth, I just want to make sure we have uh, information for folks who are tuning in and um, may, may be looking for help. So is there a, a hotline they can reach out to? Yes, um, we recommend if the youth is in crisis to reach out to the Trevor Project or Trans Lifeline, which is a transgender specific suicide hotline. 
if they need resources here in Indiana, we highly recommend that they reach out to us here at Indiana Youth Group and they can get help by visiting indianayouthgroup.org. And if I could add, um, for parents and youth who feel that their rights have been violated at school, um, you do have the same rights as everyone else. And um, you should reach out to the American Civil Liberties Union of Indiana and uh, our lawyers would love to speak to you about that. It seems like kids sports is often something that that gets underway with um, people having different ideas about what should be done, you know, whether it's um, ethnic backgrounds or religious backgrounds. And now we have with with uh, transgender youth. Is there a reason, Kit, why you think sports are are often like the the sort of place where all of this starts? Well, I want to say that um, it, it sports does seem to be an issue that uniquely divides people um, on, you know, who particularly folks who are movable, who are not very familiar with trans people in the first place. But I will also say that there's, it's actually kind of a nothing new argument that we've sort of seen this format of argument around trans people come back almost seasonally really for the past several years, we just get sort of recycled into whatever people think the next thing is going to scare people the most. So in the beginning around 2015, uh, these conservative groups that had recently lost marriage, the marriage fight, um, were looking for that next issue and they lit on bathrooms you know, as something that made people who were not transgender and who didn't know the community uncomfortable to think about. You know, we're sitting now in 2022 and bathrooms seem almost passe. That seems to be something that the country is settling down on. Um, even I hear even from conservative groups that they're not sure that it's an issue that they can lead with. And so they moved it to the next thing, which may have been locker rooms. Um, and now we've lit on sports. And so it's sort of the next evolution of what is essentially the same argument where we, we find the inflection point where people haven't yet experienced sort of in- inclusion and haven't seen that sort of the, the sky doesn't come falling down when inclusion happens. And then... But it doesn't last. That doesn't last. It's not ultimately a great strategy for folks who are against LGBTQ people because inevitably um, that parade of horrors they predict doesn't appear. And uh, in this case, you know, we've got for, for sports, we have decades of experience with trans people having a path to compete in multiple sports and no examples of places where cisgender or non transgender women have somehow been rendered unable to to compete in sports. So it's going to be very much like those previous issues. It is just a shame that we have to keep coming back to it. We have to keep coming back and sort of undoing the harm that's being done to youth over these just parades of horrors that, 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 that never, never arrive. Zoe, how do you talk with youth about this, you know, if they're paying attention to the news and, and these stories? The number one thing we try to do is make sure that they know that that not everyone thinks this way. Not everyone is against them. We want them to feel loved and supported. So that's our number one thing is to create a safe space where they can come and get away from these these issues, get away from the people who are attacking them. Um, Studies have shown, the Trevor Project did a study just last year that showed that if a trans youth feels supported, they're 40% less likely to harm themselves or consider suicide. So that is, that is our number one thing, is to, to make them feel comfortable, help them find their own power, find their own voice, and really empower them to speak up for their own self and learn how they can be an advocate for themselves while we're there advocating alongside them. 
And we also, you know, we connect them with other organizations, those who are interested in advocacy. We we introduce them to the ACLU and all these other wonderful organizations that are out there fighting for them. Would you say the um, cyclical nature, it seems, of this uh, topic is is getting more attention in in recent years? Uh, are transgender athletes being seen in a more positive light, or is it is it continuing to be negative? Well, I I you know what I think that it is. A, that's a complicated question. You know, in many ways, trans athletes are celebrated um, and becoming you know more able to get into to, to to just being seen as fellow competitors, which is what I think everybody wants. But I think that there is also a dark side of that where there's this narrative, particularly, you know, it's important to name the target here. And the target of these disinformation campaigns tends to be transgender women. Um, And so when you see a trans athlete who is lauded for success, that tends to be someone who is maybe transmasculine or non-binary. And of course, they deserve all of that. Um, But what we see is that trans women are being presented as the boogeyman or the boogie woman in this case, um, the person to come in and um, who's going to invade your sport and outcome, you know, we're really painted almost trans women generally as, as, as superhuman mutants who are going to win every single contest inevitably, even though there's that, that is not borne out by any studies or any facts. And um, so it's sort of a double-edged sword. I think, I think we see trans women being able to compete but then when they find success in their sport, being used as an example of this sort of fake idea of a, of a horde of invaders um, taking over women's sports. And that's actually something we wanted to touch upon later. And we, we only have a few minutes till break. But I did want to ask about, you know, what what the research and the studies have shown, um, because there's this argument that we constantly hear that uh, trans women will be able to dominate women's sports. <laughs> I I always think it's such an interesting argument that people bring up. It's, which is really, when you get down to it, rooted in sexism. The idea that someone who is assigned male at birth is going to always 100% of the time be better than a, than a woman it, it is ridiculous. It, it really, and you know, when anyone who knows the medicine and the science behind transition also knows when a trans woman goes on hormone replacement therapy, that quote-unquote, advantage gets zapped really fast and diminishes really quickly. And, I mean, if trans women were, in fact, dominating sports, I feel like that would already have been in the news. Yeah, Zoe. I mean, obviously, none of these people have seen me try to open a jam jar. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I, want to also add that, um, you know, we do have facts about this. Um, You know, the International Olympic Committee has had a policy in place around transgender participation for a very long time. <clears throat> there are a large number of states, um, I forget the last count, but I think it's around 20 states in the country that have a path for trans athletes at the high school level to compete. And um, in all that time, you know, you know, really naming high school competition, in all of that time, five trans athletes out of the hundreds of thousands or perhaps even millions in all those decades of participation um, five transgender athletes have achieved a state-level title. And that's not trans women specifically. So we don't even know the number of trans women out of that, but like five total out of hundreds of thousands of athletes. 
athletes. So this narrative of inevitably winning and taking over sports, you know, we're talking about 0.6% of the population with a wide variety of skills. So uh, yeah, it's just not something that's borne out by any credible facts. And I also want to note that when, you know, opponents of trans inclusion cite studies, they tend to cite studies broadly comparing the, the, the performance of men against women with no real separation, you know, comparing trans women against other women. Well, I want to thank you both. We'll be back uh, to continue our conversation after a quick break. We're talking about LGBTQ laws in Indiana and a bill recently approved by a Senate committee that would ban transgender girls from playing in school sports. I'm Miriam So. We'll be back in 90 seconds. This is All In. This is All In. I'm Miriam Sobe. We're talking about LGBTQ laws in Indiana and about a bill that aims to ban transgender girls from girls' sports in school. We're also going to learn about the history of LGBTQ laws in the state. We're continuing our conversation with Kit Malone, advocacy strategist at the ACLU of Indiana, and Zoe O'Halen-Byrne, director of marketing and communications at the Indiana Youth Group. Uh, before we continue talking about House Bill 1041, I do want to say that we reached out to the author of the bill, Republican State Representative Michelle Davis, and invited her on the program. She was unable to attend. We're still awaiting a statement from her office. Uh, so I guess, you know, we'll wait for that to come in. And in the meantime, uh, Kit, when it comes to House Bill 1041, does this only apply to trans girls or does this impact boys, trans boys in sports as well? Um, that's one of the things that makes this bill so uh, virulently unconstitutional is that it specifically singles out trans girls, um, a selected class of people for unequal treatment in their schools. It's, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I'm just trying to think about this. Like, it's targeting trans girls. It seems like a lot of laws tr- target women and, and trans women. Is there is this the continued um, sort of way our society is operating? I think if you, uh, if you ask those of us who are trans girls, we would say, yeah. I mean, we see the direct line in our, 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 our society's uh, disregard for women in the way that um, transgender women are specifically singled out to be sort of punching bags in these big cultural fights. Yeah, I was going to say with, like, when you look at the bathroom, when there's bathroom bills or any kind of argument against trans women using bathrooms, it was always the trans women that were singled out. You rarely heard them say, well, we don't want trans men in the men's room. It was always, we don't want trans women in the women's room. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm realizing this now as as I'm having this conversation with you both, um, that... I think most of the time I've only heard of it um, in, in light of trans women. And Zoe, if, if, if trans girls can't participate in girls sports, are there proposed alternatives? Have, have the folks who are proposing this bill come up with a, their own sort of solution to it? You know, I haven't heard much about any solution. You know, people throw around, sometimes you see it on social media say, well, trans people can compete, but they should be in a trans league. And I've seen no one really step up to make that happen. Also, there's the whole there's the whole issue of being otherized, saying, "Okay, we recognize that you're a woman, but you're not this kind of woman, so you need to go." It it's just a weird form of segregation, just worded slightly differently. Also, a lot of these schools, do these schools have enough trans girls to make their own trans girls team? Probably not. Yeah, and I would like to add that um, in the injunction filing against Idaho's attempt at passing a law like this, uh, 
um, which is currently under injunction and not able to be enforced, um, the, the court found that forcing trans girls to say participate on a boys team was in effect a ban on participation because the practicalities of those poor girls being able to participate on that team led to a bar that was so high that most of them would be unable to do so. With regards to House Bill 1041, it passed out of the Senate yesterday. Did you anticipate this would happen? Yes. Um, we, we fought hard. Um, we, we brought our best um, case to the legislature, but they, 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 they refused to, to, to do the right thing by trans people and went ahead and passed it. And um, Unfortunately, this is an election year for, for, for a lot of folks over there, so they felt like they needed to get something um, to a, some red meat out the door. And so it happened. Zoe, were you surprised at all? Did you think that there was a chance it wouldn't go through? I wish I could say I was surprised, but as a trans woman who's born and raised in Indiana, I'm sorry to say I expected it to happen, so I'm not surprised. I I mean, it is, I think that I am surprised in that this represents a change um, in Indiana over the last five years or so. Over the last five or six years, we've seen sort of yearly attacks, but... um, They've been the the legislature has been slow to take them up and we've been able to work with them to to keep those things from seeing the light of day. But it it sort of feels like the passage of this is the start of something new and dark in Indiana. What would be the next steps uh, for the ACLU now that this this bill has passed? I thought I was reading that, that that you have a lawsuit ready to go. Yeah, we are. We are ready to sue. Um, when this when this bill becomes law, we will we will be we will be taking it to court. And what would that be like? I, I guess for for folks who are tuning in and, and aren't really familiar with the process, um, does that mean they'll have to halt it if if the governor signed it? Um, that will be the goal um, to obtain you know injunction on the state's ability to enforce this unconstitutional law to have it declared unconstitutional. As far as the mechanics of that, you know, I'm not a member of our legal team, so I don't want to go like into too much detail in case I say something that is legally not true. Um, but we are, but 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 I do have assurances from our lawyers that we'll be taking this case, and that they believe they have high confidence that we'll win. Earlier, you mentioned that this goes against um, civil rights law and, and other such laws. Uh, can you help us understand that just for, you know, how this fits into all of that? Sure. Um, so let's start with, um, you know, Title IX has been thrown around a lot in the discussion around this. Title IX is the portion of um, the 1964 um, civil rights law that, that really governs um, students in schools. And... Um, Title IX law, you know, says that it is illegal to discriminate against, uh, you know, kids in schools uh, according to sex. Um, There's a list of characteristics, sex, religion, race, etc. The key word here for us in this case is sex. Um, Just a couple of years ago, a conservative Supreme Court found that Title VII, similar title that governs workplace discrimination, that the word sex in that title covers gender identity-based discrimination. They found that you cannot discriminate against trans people in the, in the workplace because discriminating against trans people is sex discrimination in a very straightforward way. Um, so it is a, the opinion of the Department of Justice, uh, the, the Department of Education, um, the ACLU as well, 
on the ACLU of Indiana, that, 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 that extends to all the titles in civil rights code because it's a very straightforward argument. Um, and that, that we can expect that, that we will be victorious in this case because of that. Zoe, we've talked about this bill at the Indiana State House, and I want to talk a little bit more broadly about it. Um, and I, I know we kind of touched upon this earlier, but just to, to help us understand, what is the main argument for for banning transgender girls from participating in girls' sports, specifically here in Indiana? What what are lawmakers saying? The argument against trans women and trans girls in girls' sports ten, tends to center around the idea that those assigned who were assigned male at birth are somehow predispositioned to be immensely more talented in the world of athletics than those who were assigned female at birth. It really, so like I said earlier, it really comes down to this patriarchal sexist belief that one, that one biological sex is more dominant to the other, but they, they fail to see the fact that these trans girls are girls. They're not dominating a sport. You know, they're not out to take it away from girls because they're girls too. But it seems to be the stumbling block for the people who oppose trans rights is that they can't differentiate sex from gender. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that uh, news stories that cover uh, like professional swimmers at the college level, um, I think there's one swimmer in particular, Leah, I can't remember her last name. Um, do you think those help or hurt the the community? It really depends on who's looking at it and how it's being framed. Every media outlet is going to handle the story differently. Some are going to frame it as she's an amazing athlete and people are now discriminating against her, whereas other people are going to frame it as look at this trans person who's making it so hard for cis women to be athletes. So it really... It really fluctuates between who you ask and who you're getting the news from, whether it's hurting or helping the community. But in many ways, it's helping because it is shedding light on the fact that, you know, we trans women are out there. We live lives and we should have the same right to success as anyone else. And I think that it's difficult to watch um, the media coverage around any successful trans woman sometimes as a trans person because you do feel like they're going to be divided into those camps and instead of just being able to celebrate that one of your sisses is out there you know kicking butt um you have to you have to sort of grate your teeth and worry about who's going to come for you now um because someone was you know had the temerity to to succeed um also want to point out that like one passive way that media can make this difficult is by always framing our successes as controversies Um, when there is, you know, not even like in an attack article, but simply saying, for instance, you know, Leah breaks records, controversy erupts. You know, there's always sort of an asterisk by our successes. Yeah. And I think part of that is tied to the idea that everything gets boiled down to one term that people love to throw around is biologically male, which is such a, a weird way to phrase it because people get this idea that there's a, a solid 100% inflexible binary to people's biology. And when you ask them to define, well, define biologically male, they can't do it in a way that's supported by science. They, they miss the fact that, you know, biological makeup is a spectrum. There are intersex individuals who are transgender. 
there are just like there's just such a wide spectrum when you ask them to define what they consider biologically male it's usually something that on a technical science level won't actually hold up all that well Mm -hmm. And and I wonder sometimes, too, um, for folks that you mentioned that maybe intersex, just watching this all go down around them and and it's like there's nothing that that, that they can do about that. Yeah, it's it's a shame, you know, that there's not more education out there. There's not more understanding. There's not even a will to understand. People like to go on the defensive and attack anything they don't understand. And there comes a point where it's not a lack of understanding, it's a lack of compassion. What do you think it is that drives the fear um, of, of wanting to educate themselves or learn more um, in, in this particular area? I think there's a lot that goes into it. I think there are so many people who have such a stubborn, heels-dug-in view of what the world is. Everybody wants to see everything in a shade of black and white. They, they miss the grays. They don't, they don't want to be told they're wrong. They, and they don't even want to consider the fact that they are because if one piece of their world puzzle is challenged, they're going to have to start reconsidering how the whole puzzle fits together. And I think there is a numbers issue here. Um, when we look at, so <clears throat> the trans movement in terms of trans equity has always lagged behind um, the LGB, the broader LGB movement. Um, lesbian, lesbian, gay, bisexual, et cetera. Um, trans people have always sort of been the sort of like trailing edge of that. And one of the reasons is simple numerics. Uh, trans people represent a fairly small proportion of the population compared to LGB people. And we know that familiarity um, breeds tolerance. We know that like having a friend or a family member or a cousin or an uncle or a brother or a sister who is LGB, you know, breeds acceptance. And uh, trans people, so many people, when you speak to have had, never had a meaningful relationship with a trans person. And we know that acceptance of trans people is highly correlated with having a meaningful relationship with us. Um, so even going beyond just the questions of like educating ourselves, um, we don't even really benefit from the passive, um, the passive acceptance of familiarity. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and and I'll be honest, when we were doing this show and planning it out, I was a little bit nervous because I'm not super familiar with all the proper terminology and, and how to approach this. And I was like, I want to make sure that we do this in the best way possible, um, because I think it's important that we learn and understand and connect with one another. Um, and, and something that I was wondering, too, um, Zoe, when it comes to schools in Indiana, uh, have you heard of, of them being in support or opposition to House Bill 1041? Most of the schools that I, I've heard from are opposed. A lot of them, a lot of these schools even showed up to the state house. You know, the, the uh, State Teachers Association, the board of, board of directors, sorry, school board folks were showing up to say, this is, this is ludicrous. We don't want to have to discriminate against our our students. We are very lucky that a lot of schools across the state are thinking very proactively in favor of our trans youth. We here at IYG, we manage the Indiana GSA that was formerly the Gay Straight Alliance. It's now the Genders and Sexualities Alliance. We administer the state 
organization. And we are finding more and more schools are reaching out, asking us how they can be there, how they can make their schools a more accepting and better place for, for trans students. So we have a lot of hope here that these schools are out here to protect the youth and do what's best for them and that they oppose these discriminatory measures. In terms of the legality for this uh, House Bill 1041, um, is, is it legal in Indiana to pass bills like this, which uh, seem to target groups of people, allegedly? Oh, that's a complicated question. I mean, it's legal to pass the bill. Whether or not the bill passes constitutional muster at the end of the day is up for the courts to decide. So uh, I guess it's just uh, keep passing bills and see which ones go through at this point. Yeah, I mean, we that, that does often appear to be the philosophy down at the General Assembly. Um, we have a long history of suing um, on laws that have been passed by that body and winning. Um, you know, so I, I definitely, as um, you know, as a as a lawmaker said on the on the Senate floor debate on ten forty one yesterday, you know, I put my money on the ACLU. Would you say that? Um... LGBTQ folks are protected by anti-discrimination laws in all states, including here in Indiana, or is that still work that needs to be done? That's another complicated question. But what I would say is that we are protected by federal law from, from discrimination. That's been pretty, pretty clearly established by the Supreme Court, um, uh, you know, as of today, um, that you cannot discriminate against LGBTQ people. Now, the fact that Indiana is one of a hand, uh, you know, one of a number of states that has has failed really to specifically um, protect LGBTQ people. You know, has leads to a lot of confusion in the state about when and where you are protected. Uh, it's something that I would love to see lawmakers take up, um, but I have doubts in this atmosphere that that's something they'd be willing to do. Um, but you know, we still have a situation where we need something like the Equality Act instead of simple, you know, the court precedent that is very clear. Um, but we need really like law. Um, and, and we really need to settle this for all LGBTQ Americans across the country um, so that we don't feel like our rights are different when we move from one city or from one state to another. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue speaking with advocates about LGBTQ laws in Indiana. If you have any questions or comments for our guests today, you can find us on Facebook or Twitter at All in Indiana. You can also leave us a voicemail at 866-476-3881. That's 866-476-3881. I'm Miriam So. We'll be back in 90 seconds. This is All In. This is All In. I'm Miriam Soap. We're discussing LGBTQ laws in Indiana in light of House Bill 1041. With us are two guests, Kit Malone, advocacy strategist at the ACLU of Indiana, and Zoe O'Halen-Byrne, director of marketing and communications at the Indiana Youth Group. Zoe, I want to talk about the laws in Indiana versus other uh, parts of the country. Do you think that Indiana has uh, laws that specifically protect the LGBTQ community? And, And how would you say we compare overall nationwide? Uh, The way I usually respond to this question is we're not the worst, but we're nowhere near the best. Um, There are definitely states out there doing more than us. Uh, Well, it's not hard to do more than us, because really, when you look statewide, we don't have statewide protection for the LGBTQ plus community in Indiana. Indianapolis has some city and county level protections, but that does no good for our who are out in rural communities. 
far away from Indianapolis. And that's probably where they need that protection more than all, more than any than anywhere. And when you look at some of the laws that are permissible, some things that are permissible by law in our state, it's kind of mind boggling. Indiana is one of, I think, only nine states left in the country that allows for the trans panic defense. Meaning if someone was to find out that a trans woman or a trans man was trans and then attacked, assaulted, or even murdered them, they could claim a defense of temporary insanity or crime of passion based on finding this out. And that is terrifying. Knowing that someone could murder me and then have recourse in court to say, I didn't know she wasn't born by, you know, here comes that term. I didn't know she wasn't born biologically female. And that a, a court could accept that plea as something valid. That's terrifying. Um, so I really, like Kit said, I, I think this we need to step up. We need to step up for things like the Equality Act. We need to step up to protect everyone in this state because we're all Hoosiers. We're all citizens and we deserve the same rights and protections under the law. And just to clarify, are you saying that this is an actual law in place where, where someone can plead that they were momentarily panicked? It's not so much that it's a law, it's a lack of a law. There are a lot of states who have created laws that make that defense invalid. In Indiana, they you can still, it's not guaranteed that it would be accepted as a, a defense, but it could be entered without immediately being shut down. Well, that's uh, something I never thought I'd hear. You know, like it's just, it's... Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I'm speechless here. Uh, Kit, when we talk about protections um, for the LGBT community, I know uh, earlier we mentioned there's some federal protections. Uh, can you tell us what those are and, and are they effective here in our state? I would say that, um, you know, when we talk about protections, first we're talking about the Constitution, you know, the, the Equal Protection Clause of the U.S. Constitution guarantees um, the, the laws... Um, the, the, the word that no one is sort of exempted from the protection of the law. Um, and then we also have, um, the 1964 civil rights act, um, which has been amended a couple times, but also, but, but, um, essentially guarantees, um, that you can't be discriminated against in, um, several broad areas. And those areas are the public square, um, you know, public accommodations is what we say. So that could be like, you know, a diner, um, a park. Uh, you know, a movie theater, a, a business, things that are open to the public. We also have employment. That's another arm of that. Uh, 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 you know, you can't be discriminated against at work um, or fired or, um, you know, systematically not hired because you are trans or, or gay or, or anything. Um, and uh, then finally, we have, um, you, so we have employment, we have public accommodations, and we have um, housing. So housing is the other sort of of the three arms of non-discrimination law. Um, housing is, means you can't be denied a mortgage. You can't be you know, denied a place to rent simply because you're a trans. So that's the sort of federal law landscape. Um, school falls underneath of um, public accommodations. You know, that's a schools, um, public schools. Government institutions cannot um, cannot discriminate in that particular way against any member of the public. So that's where we are with that. 
Um, Indiana doesn't have anything at all um, that is equivalent to that for LGBTQ people. Well, Zoe, where would you say Indiana is falling short? Obviously, you know, maybe what we just heard, which is there's stuff that's not uh, protecting the LGBTQ community here in Indiana, unless it's at a federal level. But what what is it in Indiana that can be done? I think really the first thing is just to create a statewide protection that just says that LGBTQ people are extended the exact same rights and protections as everyone else. I know it sounds really simple or it seems like it should be implied, but it's something, something, taking something so simple and explicitly stating it and explicitly putting that protection in place would mean a world of difference. Because without those laws, there are a lot of people out there discriminating against others who think that they have the right to do it just because the state hasn't said anything against it. So I, I think that's, that's the first step that needs to happen, is just to say we are supporting equality and equity for all in the state. And I think an important part of this question um, that we're not really touching on is laws are important. Policy is important. You know, I work on policy, I believe it, but I'm going to take off my policy hat for a second um, and talk for a second about the fact that, you know, we know the passing, for instance, if we were to pass the Federal Equality Act tomorrow, we know that discrimination would not end. There would not be an end to discrimination simply because we wrote into law that um, that you can't do it. Um, it would still be there would still be quite a lot of discrimination. You know, we only have to look at um, other folks who are discriminated against who are, you know, protected under federal law from that to know that that's still going to happen. So we need something more than that. And the thing that we need the most, and I, you know, this is where I take off that that policy hat and like put on my community hat. Um, we need to have that breathing space that's afforded by policy in order to be able to live public lives and live public lives and build connections to our community that we want to have, um, to be able to be part of our community, to be able to participate fully in public life. I think that is what gets us to equality. You know, that's slow, but I think that is the direction we need to be pushing. I think sometimes when when we have these uh, conversations, the the one piece that we miss hearing is is the folks, you know, the families and the kids who are dealing with this right now. And so I'm curious what you've heard from families as you've lobbied at the state house against House Bill 1041. Well, they're frankly terrified. Um, I, I think that when you have, you know, I know a lot of um, families that have a trans um, child in the family, and I think that you know. That can be for parents, especially a very that can be very nerve wracking simply because of knowing and being aware of the sort of virulence of um, the hatred that a lot of folks have for trans people and the fear that your child is not going to be safe. I mean, I you know, it is not lost on me that often, you know, we don't see trans youth um, able you know, with some great, amazing and inspiring exceptions, trans youth don't often feel like they're able to speak up because of the, you know, the level of bullying that they are likely to receive, um, you know, at such a young age. Um, it's simply too dangerous. Um, and I know that I see that when I talk to my friends who will just heartbreakingly tell me, you know, I wish I could do more. I wish I could stand up, but I'm worried about my child. And, you know, to which I can say, like, you're doing all of the work now because you are keeping a child alive and supported. Um, but it does say something to me 
the 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 fear that the opponents of trans equality um, have instilled in people really actually prevents people from standing up for themselves at all because they're afraid of you know often literal violence. Zoe, what would you say? I mean, when it comes to when we look at. I always bring this question up to everybody because I'm fascinated by technology and social media and just how it's changed the landscape for things. Would you say that it's helping or hindering uh, the community? This is another case where it's it really depends on how it's being used and who's using it. It has social media on the bad side has been used to spread a lot of misinformation and a lot of hate. However, In many cases, it is creating a worldwide community where trans people and parents of trans youth can connect and find community and resources. We at OIG, we've primarily served in person due to the pandemic. We've shifted to being very virtual. And because of our social media marketing campaigns to get the word out that our services are now offered virtually, we've started seeing youth enrolling from outside of central Indiana, from outside the state. We have youth and parents reaching out saying, I'd like to get my kid enrolled because we have nothing like this here and we need we need support. Or parents reaching out saying, you know, my child has just come out. I don't know how to support them. And your name popped up when I started searching for it. So in many ways, social media is helping. It is creating a network that connects trans people and trans advocates together to support each other and build a better community. And, and Kip, what are your thoughts? I, you know, I think that um, the social media is like a lot of things for trans people. It's a double-edged sword. Uh, the same thing that, you know, is very powerful for, for many, many, many trans people, particularly those who have trouble finding community. Um, provides those same tools to folks who are really dedicated to, um, you know, tearing trans people down and um, provide like really, really organized breeding spaces for folks who want to spread the, you know, a message of hate or organize against us. Um, and that's fine. That is their right. That is the way, it, that, that is the way the world works. And that is, you know, everyone has a right to, to their own thoughts and their own ability to organize. But um I also look, you know, all you have to do is go to any article that really even mentions the existence of trans people, um, sometimes articles that don't even mention the existence of trans people, and poke around in the comments for even a second. Um, and, you know, I'm pretty hardened. I've been um, doing advocacy work for a while, and I've heard basically all of it. But when I think about children um, having their you know, some of their first exposure to how the world thinks of them, you know, being commentary like that, it really breaks my heart. What can be done, you know, as, as we get ready to wrap up here, um, solutions wise to to remedy some of these issues, this misinformation, this lack of education? Zoe, is there anything um, that, that you do with the Indiana Youth Group that is able to educate Hoosiers? Yes, here at Indiana Youth Group, we do have a training program that focuses on cultural competency as well as professional development. So businesses who want to learn how they can better support their trans and other LGBTQ plus employees and create a safe workspace or how to create an environment that is safe for their customers and clients, they can come to us and we can offer a training 
Uh, we tailor the trainings to each business or organization. You know, sometimes we have churches and schools reaching out for these development trainings. We can customize a curriculum to the needs of the individual organization and business to help them get the tools they need to be better advocates and better good neighbors for LGBTQ plus Hoosiers. Um, so yeah, if there anyone's out there interested in getting this education, they can find more information on indianayouthgroup.org. And, and Kit, um, what are some of the things you, you hope listeners will take away from our conversation today? I think the thing that, that I most want people to understand is that there are trans people out here um, like me, like Zoe, I guess I'm just, I just drafted Zoe without her permission, um, <laughs> who are, who are able to talk about these issues. Um, you know, a thing that struck me, uh, you know, to take it back to HB 1041, um, the proponents of the bill, when they introduced it, it introduced it into committee, um, you know, talked a lot, talked a very big game about sort of respect and the importance of having respectful dialogue. And so what I want to say is respect doesn't start with a ban. Um, a respectful conversation doesn't start with a ban. But that regardless of that, there are many people here in Indiana who are able to engage in that dialogue. You know, you're not owed it. There's lots of people who can't and shouldn't be expected to. But you don't have to look very far to find vocal, brilliant advocates for trans people who are willing to have that conversation and bring you to the table um, and who will do it, you know, respectfully with you um, as long as that respect is, is, is returned. I would also like to call out my um, trans education and advocacy project, um, which is a network currently of about 41 trans people throughout Indiana. Um, we have folks in, um, in, in small towns and in our big cities all over the state. Um, who are doing the work in their communities, whether that is with engaging with lawmakers, starting organizations, and even LGBTQ centers of their own, um, which, you know, we're able at the ACLU to support them in that work, um, to provide them with leadership training and um, work with them, and then they come and help us out during the session and engage with lawmakers. Um, and those people are all over the state. So, you know, if there are P if you're struggling with this issue, um, there is probably someone in your neighborhood um, that can talk to you about that. And that's what we need. Um, and I don't think there's anything more human than that. The, the, the ask to be friends. I, you know, I, I know that that is, that sounds a little cheesy, but the way we get through this is by having fellowship and being friends. Absolutely. And I, and I want to thank you both for, for being so kind and open and sharing everything with us. And um, uh, I'm sure I probably said something probably inaccurate at some point, but I appreciate you not uh, <laughs> poking, poking me for it. So thank you both for, for letting us have this conversation. It's really, really been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting us to be a part of it. I, I don't mean to speak for you, Kit, but I, I do feel like it, we greatly appreciate that you brought trans people in to have this conversation because so often these conversations happen over our heads and away from us.
Thank you so much. Uh, I want to thank our guests for taking the time today. Kit Malone is an advocacy strategist at the ACLU of Indiana, and Zoe O'Halen-Byrne is the Director of Marketing and Communications at the Indiana Youth Group. Our producers are Drew Doblin and Micah Yason. Scott Cameron is our managing editor. Adam Gross is our engineer and composed our theme song. If you'd like a podcast of this show or any past show, you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at All in Indiana. I'm Miriam Sobe. Thanks for listening. This is All In.